podcaster. I hardly know her. <laughs> uh, hey guys, my name is Megan Bryant, and this is the I Hardly Know Her podcast. I'm an entrepreneur, a single mom of four young kids. I'm a comedian, an improv trainer, and an award-winning author. As I've been going through life, I've learned how much I love to share my stories, listen to others share their stories, and find connections of cool people doing cool things all around me every day. This is a podcast where I'm going to be all over the board. Personal growth, professional strategies, and my perspective and experiences on a lot of different topics. So join me, Megan Bryant, and let's keep in mind that we don't have to be a big deal to do big things. This episode is very close to my heart. It is regarding adoption. So it starts off with me telling my uh, journey into how I got into advocacy in present day, (laughs) not to be confused with pregnant day, although I've had many, many days of that, having birthed five humans. Uh, And additionally, there is an interview with my friend Stephanie, who I met through the adoption community in the town that I live in, in Boise, Idaho. She's the executive director of A New Beginning Adoption Agency. And the second half of this episode is, or actually two thirds of this episode rather, are um, just an open dialogue around the scope of things that are covered in her world of adoption as uh, someone who facilitates that as her work through the nonprofit that she runs. So I hope that you enjoy this and any questions that you have around adoption, please let me know and I would love to continue having additional episodes on this subject matter down the road. When I had stumbled into adoption as an option for an unplanned pregnancy that I had in 1999, I never would have guessed that it was gonna become such a huge part of my life decades later um, in such a big way. I mean, more so than I would have expected. <laughs> Let me try to make sense of these uh, this flurry of thoughts that I'm having. Back when this happened, I thought this was just this huge trial that I was facing that I could not in that moment understand how I was going to get past it and thought, of course, that it was something I needed to get past. Um, A lot of times, especially growing up in a religious environment, whenever there's a sin or a trial or something that we have to overcome, Um, A lot of times the way the verbiage was, or at least the way I interpreted it, was you overcome the trial and you move on. You close that chapter and you keep going. And once you repent of something, which actually touched on this whole repentance um, thought process in my last episode of Moderate Mormon, but it used to feel like once you repented about something, you're not supposed to talk about it anymore. You're not supposed to bring things up. It's almost like keeping things from healing and whatever else. And and for me, it actually felt like it kept this experience um, tucked under this like pile of shame. And I didn't like that. Um, I feel like over the course of many years, I didn't share my adoption story a whole lot unless I really felt like it was vital to a specific interaction. If I knew there was somebody who was maybe interested in going that route, a couple of different cases where women that I knew were unable to conceive children of their own, and so it would just come up naturally in those conversations in a one-on-one environment. And beyond that, I really did not speak out about it a whole lot. And I always felt really torn because I did not feel ashamed of the end result. I felt such pride 
and such joy and very, very humbled and honored that I ultimately became the vessel to carry a human child that that couldn't have been born by um, the mother of my child's, you know, the mother of my child, the way I placed for adoption. She was unable to have children of her own. And obviously, as a young person, I never really stopped to think about infertility. I never really, I, you don't think about things. I think in a lot of ways, we don't think about things until they're relevant to us, until we experience it, or until someone very close to us experiences it. And then we can see up close and personal the pain and the, uh, the overwhelm that can come with so many different challenges that we have with our mortal bodies. And so I always felt really torn over the years of just being like, man, this felt like it ended so amazing. It was such a beautiful journey. Yes, it was painful for me. Yes, I thought about the baby every single day. I still think about her every day. She's almost 20 years old. I still think about my firstborn every day and wish for her to have the best life possible, uh, pray for her, um, very much wanted her to always be a part of my life. And and then several years ago, when everything sort of turned on its head for me, um, it, it was sort of getting to the point where we were getting a little bit closer to her age of being able to reunite with me in person if she still want, if she chose to, if she wanted to. And, um, and of course I hoped that would be the case. And, uh, I, I just felt really strongly that I needed to finally really open up and share my story. And along those same timelines, I was talking a little bit more with her adoptive mother, Leanne, and she had been having a lot of those same feelings, those same consistent promptings that she wanted to share positive adoption stories. Now, we're not naive to the fact that there's some adoption stories that are not ideal. Of course, in any family dynamic, whether it's all biological or if there's adoption involved or whatever the case is, if there's divorce and marriage, uh, you know, remarriage and step parents and kids and all the different things, there's so many different structures within family anymore that none of them are ever going to be perfect no matter which way it is set up. And so we felt really strongly that we wanted to share positive stories in such a way that would just allow adoption to become a more frequently talked about option when someone is faced with an unplanned pregnancy. It's no secret that a lot of the hot buttons around that topic result in two things, either that you are being quote unquote responsible for keeping the child, like you need to keep and raise the child or you handle it by having an abortion and terminating the pregnancy. And I don't judge either of those opinions. I just want everyone in that position to have all three options because option option three, sorry, adoption is an option. It is a remarkable one and one I've seen bless my own life and many, many others as now I serve as the vice president of the board of directors for an agency in the town I live in. It's called a New Beginning Adoption Agency in Boise, Idaho, where I currently reside. And I stumbled into this space of advocacy a few years ago when I was like, okay, I'm committed to sharing my story. What I thought was just going to be a blog post and some pictures. And then ultimately I decided I was actually going to do a video. I did like a 12 or 15 minute video where I actually had some friends who do video production. I had them come in and do a kind of interview style right in my living room so that it could be uh, mostly comfortable for me to just like be in the in the comfort of my own home and have them 
ask me questions the way someone who doesn't know about the subject might ask me questions. And so I just wanted to put it out there just for the sake of discussion. And I thought it might end there. And then, of course, you if you've been following the podcast, you know I have a book out so far uh, called Not My Plan, sucking it in until I had to push it out. And I published that. I ended up going from a blog post to publishing a book all in a very short amount of time, six months tops from taking all of those notes into a fleshed out book. And uh, and it was very cathartic and um, an interesting process for me and a, really a labor of love because we got to all be part of it. I had some excerpts written by my uh, firstborn daughter, Hannah, who um, obviously I placed for adoption, so her perspective as well as her parents. And there's a little segment in there from my own mother who I hid the pregnancy from. And so again, just with this idea of opening up dialogue around adoption. And so when that all was happening, I actually can't even remember. I should have asked uh, my guest on the podcast today, Stephanie, who you're going to hear our interview next. Um, she can always remember remember better than me uh, of how we met and how we crossed paths. And she had been looking for another board member. And I had been um, recently in my journal at the time, I had written things that I wanted to have happen within three to five years, goals of mine. And one of them was to serve on a nonprofit board. And so our, our paths crossed. It felt like an obvious great fit. Um, and then I began learning a lot more about adoption um, and the scope of everything that that encompasses. And I don't know all the ins and outs and ups and downs. It's very complicated and can be a lot of work. And that's why the very skilled, dedicated staff is so important um, for all sides of the adoption triad. That's the birth family, the adoption adopted family, and the adoptees all being represented before, during, and as far after the process as needed um, as they navigate that relationship. And so there was just so much more than I would have ever possibly known. My fit, though, is really that I just am out and about in the community all the time. I'm not afraid to flap my yapper on uh, social media and just talk about things. And so whenever I can, that's uh, where I like to just kind of help connect dots and be a voice for adoption just to spur the conversation. And every time I do share something on social media, it's always a wonderful experience to see who that post might touch that day and how things get shared and ultimately connecting people either to infant adoption programs or to foster adoption programs and even soon to come to this agency are surrogacy options. Um, And there's a lot of other things that just kind of keep pushing the cause forward and it's in such a way that is empowering to women. We want women to come in and look at what it looks like to work with an agency to have support no matter what Um, and to be partnered in the community with the other resources. We know that not everyone's going to choose adoption. We just want everyone to really know what that looks like if they were to go that route. And, um, and our organization talks regularly with other local organizations who support um, other pro-life initiatives of people who are um, advocates for keeping the baby and parenting, as well as partnerships with our local Planned Parenthood. We want to be able to make sure that when a woman makes their decision, they are making it with all the education that they could possibly need 
so that this very, very difficult decision can be as easy as possible for them to continue to move forward from. And again, okay, so at the beginning I say moving past, moving forward, I don't know, it's hard to pick which word sounds the best at different times because I don't ever feel like we're supposed to like move past trials. I think that we should really embrace them. And sometimes we kind of put a pin in it and let it just sit there for a while because like I didn't really have a whole lot to do with um, adoption stuff other than just really enjoying my own experience. I looked forward every year to the day when I would get a letter and pictures. My arrangement was a semi-open adoption, which just meant that in my case, the arrangement was that up until age five, I was supposed to get letters and pictures every year, and I could send stuff in exchange. And thankfully, the adoptive parents continued to send me stuff each year. And so I would pull up and uh, each year and get my letter and package of pictures from the, um, the social worker office that I had used, which was LDS Family Services at the time. And, uh, and I would have my little quiet time in my car and I would read through the letter and I would look at these pictures of my firstborn and see how happy and healthy she was and hear about the opportunities that she was having and the joy that she was bringing into um, the lives of everyone that she was touching and you better believe I would just cry and cry and cry in my car and it was all the feelings it was the feelings of just overwhelming joy and and the devastation of course of not being there, not not being able to see those milestones and to be the one to hear her laugh and to snuggle her when she scrapes her knees and, you know, all those things that I now really, really enjoy with my own children and don't take, I don't take it for granted. I I think some of the, the times that in parenthood where, um, you know, the screaming and the messy house and things that ah, kind of make us frustrated as parents, the frustration is so short-lived for me and I'm I'm grateful for that and I I very much attribute that to this experience of placing a child for adoption because that was something that her parents wouldn't have been able to even experience unless they'd been given that opportunity through adoption and like and uh likewise my experience as a mother now is so far elevated I think I believe than it may have been otherwise because I cherish all those little moments the good ones and the hard ones and everything in between um and and I realize how quick they are are moving because this oldest child of mine at the time of me recording this she's getting married in two days and and she's a she's a woman now and she's beautiful and she's witty and charming and has just these incredible talents and she sings like an angel and plays the guitar and piano and uh, her her music that she writes these original songs have come into my life on so many different occasions where I've still in present day been going through trials and and she writes them about whatever you know whatever her motivation was but they speak to my heart on on the, the very real present day experience of my own life. And it's just mind blowing to be a part of something like that. And so I felt it was really important, see if I can catch my, my shaky voice here, 
very important to uh, do this podcast and to talk a little bit more about adoption. Um, I'm so grateful to be able to work with the awesome team at A New Beginning. I feel like I probably get my fingers in it a little more than I'm probably supposed to as a board member because I really want to understand how to connect people um, to this experience and to find ways to make it a really approachable topic in a way that does not scare people off and that encourages people to ask questions and to want to get involved however they can. So that's my, uh, little back history, uh, or backstory on how I got into, um, very active advocacy that I currently, um, engage in and then coming up next is an interview with my good friend Stephanie um, and we're covering a little bit more of a broader scope of the things that happen in an agency and hopefully it answers some questions that you might have on the topic of adoption and if not please hit me up with questions I would love to do additional episodes down the road if we can keep getting that education out there. I have my friend Stephanie here, and she is the executive director of a new beginning adoption agency. And this is a really sensitive and important topic in my life. Um, And it's been really exciting to get involved a little bit to see how much more broad the whole subject is than I even ever had a clue about, even though I've been involved with adoption. Um, So Stephanie, welcome to the podcast. Um, I want to start by asking you why you are doing what you do. Why are you in the arena of adoption? I think initially I'm an adoptive parent and my daughter is 17 and we adopted her from China. Um, And so that's kind of how I got into adoption and I was always really interested in it. But through the years, it's become much more than that. It's become more about um, finding families for children that are healthy and that are going to help them grow and develop and then providing support to families as they go through the process. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think what I've realized as an adoptive parent and also working in adoptions for 16 years is that there's a huge need for support Mm -hmm. that people don't always know that they even need. Um, and that is for birth families. It's for everybody within the adoption constellation, the birth families, the adoptive families, and the children. Mm-hmm. So when you actually decided, there must have been a point at some point where you're like, oh, I'm going to start an agency. Like, when did you decide to take the reins for yourself and and start this journey with a new beginning? So I had been working for another agency. Um, and during that time, we adopted our daughter. And I had not received much adoption training um, or support through that process as, as we were adopting her. And I, I really felt strongly that my adoption journey would have gone a little differently if I would have had more training. Mm. And so I created, I wanted to create something where families got training before um, they received a, a child. And then also to have the support after to support them through the years. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it just became something that I felt like I needed to do and build. And um, it's, it's sort of grown beyond what my vision was yeah. for it. And it continues to do that. But um, it, it's, it's, we just really want to be a place of support just yeah. through everything. Sure. So you, um, once you got into it, it ended up becoming, as you said, it like bigger than you actually would have mm-hmm. maybe originally envisioned. Yeah. Maybe there were certain things that you just hadn't really thought about. I mean, with what a, the current like scope of A New Beginning is more than what people might initially think. I know even for me, as a birth mom who placed a child, I think about adoption, or I used to, and just picture it being newborns, a lot of it just domestic, like 
um, for me, it was sort of like, oh, it was the girl that got in trouble in high school and got shipped away and then placed the baby for adoption or whatever with this nice little wholesome family in Utah or whatever. Uh, Then on the flip side, it either had to be that or very extreme that it was children in orphanages in third world countries. Right. Like that's the picture I always had in my head. So how true is some of that and how much more robust maybe is it in reality? Well, I'm, I'm sitting here smiling because I, every day when I go get my, my coffee on the way to work, um, people ask what I do and I tell them what I'm doing. And I would say nine out of 10 times the reaction is, oh, that's the happiest job. Oh. It must be so fun every day. Oh my um, gosh. And you get to hold babies and that's amazing. And so, and I, and I kind of chuckle every time because that's just really, <laughs> not my day typically um but I think you know I think that that every adoption starts from loss every single one Mm -hmm. and and so it's really helping people um through that loss and I think supporting birth parents and one of the things that I really struggle with and we've talked about this is the stigma on birth moms and and taking away that shame and really replacing that with the word brave because that's what birth moms are and then I think with kids that are in foster care, the trauma that they go through and, and, and everything that they have suffered before they even get to the adoptive family. And so it's to preparing that family to meet the child's needs versus to meet the need that they have and, and desire to be a parent. There's yeah. just a real, there's, there, there's got to be that shift to putting the child first. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then you, and then you have the international adoptions where there's complete loss of identity, complete loss mm. of culture. Um, all of these things that that it, it, it just isn't always happy and mm-hmm. simple. It's it's there's always loss and there's always and, and loss from the adoptive parent standpoint as well because they they're losing, oftentimes the loss of being able to have a biological child. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And so every every situation we start with loss and so recognizing and not, and acknowledging that and helping families um, sort of walk through that. That's that's what we want to do as an agency. Yeah. Um, what percentages are things running currently with a, like newborn adoption versus foster to adopt? So that we've had a little shift there. I mean, we, we still, we always need families for our foster adopt program Mm -hmm. always, but by the end of August, we're going to be supervising nine placements, which means nine to 11. I think there was, there's a couple sibling groups of kids from foster care. So that's super exciting for us. Um, but at any given time, there's 150,000 children in foster care waiting to be adopted. Mm -hmm. And so there's just always a need for families. Um, our infant program, um, we, we always have families on our list. And so there's families waiting for a baby. Um, versus children um, in foster care that are waiting for a family. Yeah. And so, um, but I feel like we're we're sort of um, getting closer to having maybe the same numbers. I mean, that's mm. our goal is to have the same amount of families in our foster adopt program that are in our, in our infant program cool. um, because the need is so great. Right. I've had some people ask me, they don't, they still didn't quite connect that um, they can go the foster adopt route through the agency. I try, try to make sure I talk about that when I... Uh, and public about it, yet I've had some people who still, they think of fostering as like, they're just the house that just rotates through kids. And at a new beginning, like the uh, focus is that we're looking for people who are ready to adopt and be that permanent home and not just be the pass through, right? Because right. there's certainly a place for that where people, if a child is taken out of a yikes situation right. and they need an immediate place to go then there's the those types of homes right, right that are in place that people can um be that buffer i guess right. i don't know what the right word is for that yeah versus actually adopting yes like a, so there is a huge need for both there's a need for resource families in idaho constantly constantly need um families to take kids in 
Um, and um, I'm not sure if this is the case in, in Idaho, but I've heard in other states that caseworkers, social workers are spending the night in their offices with kids because they do not have homes for, mm. for, for kids to go to, for mm. foster homes. So always a significant need there too, but then there's always also a need for families to adopt. And our program typically um, works with other states, um, and so they place their kids in our families for the purpose of adoption. So these are kids that are in foster care, mm-hmm. but they're placed for adoption with our families for permanency. Yeah. So, um, however, we do also work with Idaho a bit. So there, there are times that our families are chosen for Idaho kids too. Okay. So, but there's definitely there's a need for both. There's there's a need for resource families in Idaho, and there's a need for fo- for families to adopt from foster care, mm-hmm. and there's a need for families to support the people that are doing those things as well. I think yeah. sometimes people say, well, what can we do? We we don't feel like we can be foster parents. We don't feel like we can adopt. We don't feel like we can be a resource family. But what can we do? And it's supporting people that are doing those things. There's yeah. lots that can be done. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I love that, and that's a question I get a lot. It's just in general, people are like. How can we get involved? How can we support? And so there, there must be that myriad of ways. Like who, no doubt it, we have people in our lives that are touched by adoption in some capacity. Right. Um, if people maybe are in a position, I don't know if there's things, I know the one of the other groups that I um, like to help and support locally that you also do is with the, the Blaze the Trails yes. who are raising money to help military families to be able to adopt. So there's always different ways, whether it's financial, emotional support, or loving on people who are in that process. Um, what are, is there? Yeah, like what can you elaborate on that, or is there success stories that you could share on like how people can support? I think there's there's so many things on so many different levels. Um, I mean, it can be as simple as if you know somebody that's adopting, take them a meal. Fill their freezer up with freezer meals because mm. cooking is like the last thing they're going to have time for. Yeah. Um, respite care, like even giving a parent two hours to go just even take a walk or just take a break, sometimes that can literally save a placement. Mm. With foster placements especially, these these kids are, they come from a place of trauma and right. hard, hard, hard things and that that shows itself through behaviors that can be really, really hard. Um, and they have a hard time trusting and and attaching, and mm. so that can be really painful for foster families. Right. And so just having breaks can literally save a placement from can keep a child from going back to foster care. Doesn't cost anything. It's it's a short amount of time. It right. can really make a difference. Um, I think just um, supporting and encouraging and not judging because mm-hmm. sometimes um, these families they get a child and they're they're struggling and it's really really hard and it can look from the outside like they're doing some things wrong mm. um, it can be confusing but it's just withholding judgment and just being supportive in any way that that yeah. you can um, I think attending classes where you can learn um, just more about adoption and, and the words to use that are respectful. Oh, yeah. Um, words are, as an adoptive parent, words can be really hurtful. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes, like, I, I would love the general public to just have a clear understanding, a better understanding of words mm-hmm. and, the, and the, the power that they have uh, and the impact that they can have. Um, so, and then as far as like, um, you know, support, we're, uh, I know that people talk about adoption and they think that it's, uh, a business that makes a lot of money and, mm-hmm. and in Idaho we have to be nonprofit and I think that's really important for people to know we do charge fees for the services we provide uh, we're on call 24 7 um, and um, you know typically our, our especially our birth parent workers um, they're they're not home on weekends a lot they're I have staff right now in Moscow doing an adoption and mm. so there's just they're always very um, very busy and um, 
so we work really, really hard, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And mm -hmm. so there's a lot that we do um, that we would, there's a lot more we would like to do. Um, and and I, I find myself in a position a lot of times that I would like to be able to hire people to do the support that I want to do. And so sometimes yeah. it's sponsoring a child to do a group, like a support group, mm. you know, paying those, those types of things, being willing to just um, help help with those costs to cover um, some of those, those post-placement support types yeah. of things. Yeah. Is there stuff that you're aware of? I think while we're on that subject, because when I posted my initial story a few years ago before I even wrote the book, but I did a blog post about placing for adoption and the comments, of course, on social media were really inaccurate and mean and uneducated and whatever um, because like people were saying that I was a ba I sold my baby and all these different things and so I think it's interesting to talk about the fees surely there are for-profit ones that are mm -hmm. probably fluffing the numbers quite a lot where they maybe don't need to like I as a birth mother I didn't get paid to give my baby to another home I'm like it was shocking to me though to learn what people perceive right and to wonder like did that come from truth somewhere yeah, yeah. I mean like I don't know there's people that sell body parts on the black market there, certainly there must be that with babies as awful as that probably is there's just a lot of darkness to the world sometimes mm -hmm. the things in the shadows um but there I don't know I don't know how much or if you're like do you have your finger on the pulse at all of like the for-profit ones and maybe where some of these misinformations come from or the or the fear that maybe it's real a genuine fear that people are like well I don't want to spend all that if they just they don't understand what right. it's going to and yet yeah. It's well, gotten complicated I, I when you maybe didn't need to. It is, it is really, it is, it's, it's frustrating. But what, what I like about Idaho, one of the things I like about Idaho is we do have to be nonprofit, which is really mm -hmm. good. Um, and in Idaho, we have a certain amount of money that we can help to give toward a birth mom's living expenses okay. and, and her pregnancy expenses. That's it. We, sure. we don't get to do, um, and, and everything, every assistance, financial assistance that we do give to a birth mom has to be to uh, the, the vendor, basically. So whether it's, it's to the phone or car repairs or anything like that so there's never money going directly to a birth mom mm. and so then people say well what are the fees for so the fees are for um, the building that we have the staff that we have the counselors to provide the support every mm. single birth mom that comes through our doors has access to a birth parent mentor an adoption worker um, who's there available literally 24 hours a day seven mm -hmm. days a week um, and then staff at the hospital to provide support to her as well and so um, and to the adoptive family so there's just we as an agency have a lot of support so I think that the, that we give to, to families and to birth parents but I think that the question that families need to ask if they're looking at adoption or they're wanting to get more information is it's it's totally okay to ask where the money is going and yeah. how and how it's spent right um, and I think it's important to work with nonprofits because I think it's kind of gross to actually be doing adoption for profit honestly. yeah it's just yeah it's right not, it's not good but um, but I think that there's so much behind the scenes that goes on families are so unaware of like I, I have taken my my SUV to work and loaded it up to help a birth mom move that was kicked out of her house mm -hmm. I've I've we, we've all done things you know after hours all the time to mm -hmm. provide support um, and and it's just kind of that unawareness of yeah of what um, goes on behind the scenes yeah well and you just made some good points of things that um, that I, I didn't even realize at the, at the time when I placed it was in 1999 I hadn't used an agency I didn't mm -hmm. even entertain the idea of adoption in my case until I was actually holding a baby 
And then it was like a legal transaction. Right. I was paired up with a social worker in a very short amount of time. And next thing I knew, I was at a courthouse and there was paperwork. And the support was not there. So you right. keep mentioning support yes. and how vital that is. Yes. So I think that's something that's really critical to get out there is that like when there's an agency involved, especially one that is a nonprofit and is truly like I've met the staff. These are people that want to be involved because it's an important yeah. work. We love what we do. Yeah. And we believe in what we do. Absolutely. Yeah. And teach it, but being able to choose an agency is safer for everyone. Cause I think right. at least, you know, seeing certain stories on social media or whatever, people that have been swindled because they try to go the more affordable private route and, and the birth mom's not actually pregnant right. or like, you know, right. just really scary things right. and money goes missing. Yes. Um, but there's all that, all those bases get covered yeah. and then some, and not only during the process and up to placement, but for year, as right. many years after as is needed, which is, I think, something that is really vital to make sure that it's as healthy yes. and smooth of a transaction as possible when it is coming from an initial place of loss, as you had mentioned earlier yes. on. Yeah. Well, and I think I think that piece of support, as you know, it's it's adoption. Any type of adoption is so much more than a legal transaction. Yes. There's so much emotional um, stuff involved. And, and managing, navigating the relationships between the birth family and the adoptive family. Sometimes mm -hmm. that's tough. Sometimes that's hard. Sometimes it goes through different stages in life, you know, and um, and helping the adoptive family navigate for the child, too, through the years, through de developmental stages. And when their right. identity is being developed and answering questions and um, you know, for me, for my daughter, we had no health history, nothing. And so figuring right. out how to sort of navigate that. Um, and so there's just, there's so many things that are part of the picture that, that aren't even legal at all. Uh. And so there are so many people that pay the same fees that they pay for us, where we get, uh, have all of the services and support. They pay that same fee to an attorney oh, and it's yeah. just legal. And right. that's all the birth mom is not getting the support typically. Right. Um, and the family, the adoptive family has not been educated. Mm -hmm. And just as an adoptive parent, that education piece. And I, and I, it's just so important. And I tell families when they come through, if, if you don't want to do the education, we're just not the right agency for you because mm -hmm. I've lived it. And it is super important to have that education yeah. and that preparation for the sake of your child. It, it really is. And so families that are working just privately or with an attorney typically are not getting that education. Right. Ugh, yeah. I mean, I really felt like mm, I'm kind of hung out here to just move on with my life, like close this chapter. And um, there was a couple of support groups that I could attend. It was facilitated by a male social worker who sat quietly in the corner mm -hmm. while the rest of the ladies in there were just crying. A little unrelatable. <laughs> I was like, ah, yeah. okay, wait, <laughs> I feel like there's a better way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think being able to fast forward to where I'm at now and being like, ah, oh, we just need, everyone just needs to know that it's we're going to all be okay. Yes. We just need to work together to make it as really as smooth of a process as possible, being tender to the feelings on all sides. Um, before we started recording, you said some things that I really think are important about um, having a child focus. Yes. Things in the world, and some of it may, maybe from the foster training, intensive foster training you just got back mm -hmm. from in Las Vegas. Um, I want you to touch a little bit on the passion behind really focusing on the benefit of things being child focused. Yeah. Everything I think that, that our society doesn't always put kids first. Mm -hmm. And I think our processes, our systems, 
um, the foster care system, um, different things just are not um, child, they're just not child centered. And um, this was for me, and I was telling you earlier, and I don't know if I should say this or not, but this became really apparent to me during Idaho Gives mm. a few years ago. And, and when um, there were some agencies, pet agencies that got um, lots and lots and lots and lots of money. Mm -hmm. And the child, the, the agencies that were working with kids and families, really not, not as much. And mm. so I think our focus as a society in general is not typically on kids and supporting kids. Yeah. But I think that what we try to do as an agency is, is not every family that comes to is approved and sometimes that means that they need some more need to do some more work so that they're ready to be child-centered and put the child's needs first because mm -hmm. especially kids from hard places from trauma they need to be first they absolutely do they are not coming into a home to heal a family they're coming into a family to be healed yeah. and so we have to really give families the resources that they need to be successful and mm -hmm. I think if there's one thing if the, that I wish that I could do before I retire is just somehow to see a shift in our child welfare system and mm -hmm. really in our world in general of putting children first and they need to be the center of the universe rather than the second like everything working around them right I totally agree and while you were talking about that earlier I was having those similar thoughts or not similar but they branch from that as far as some of the people that are really maybe the louder voices and the advocates for all the other things that are maybe not the child-centered I worry that they are people that did not get treated as well as they should have as a child. Yes. Um, and I notice that a lot, which is as, as crazy as it is, and obviously you and I have talked about it before, and I've probably said things about this before on my, on my podcast when I talk about improv, but having people, especially when I bring adults into this safe space of playtime, as adults, they're having these moments of being triggered, sometimes by things they recognize and they will close up a little bit for a moment because they're like, uh-oh, I'm having a moment. Other times there's things that they don't even yeah. know was there. But they will talk to me sometimes about it. Um, obviously, I'm still working towards <laughs> having a little bit more um, credibility to help do things with that. In the meantime, I'm like, well, hey, I go to therapy. Right. You know, I've, gone, I, I've looked for help on certain things. Like, there's no shame in, in recognizing, no. oh, my gosh, there's something that doesn't feel right for me inside, right. my, inside my person. Let's fix it. Yes. And I just think that that is really interesting that when you look around and, and um, there's lots of great organizations that want to raise money for mm -hmm. causes, and I try to be very active in those. Yeah. And when I go and I visit those, very often, and not again, not to discount the other amazing efforts right. that are happening for like just so many great causes, I do notice though that children-focused ones, like people shy away from it. Things like also mm -hmm. with like sex trafficking, with some of those really intense, uncomfortable yeah. topics. Even um, one of the other groups that's run by a friend, a local chapter is run by a friend here in Meridian, Idaho, um, called Days for Girls, which is about periods. Because there are girls in some communities in third world countries who are put in huts yeah. still in modern day to sit on a rag while they are having their period. And I'm like, what? Oh my gosh. And people will just really shy away from those that are really intense and maybe we're not talked about very openly in their homes as, as children or even as adults, they don't know how to tackle it. So it, it's interesting to just see how could those shifts happen. Yeah. It kind of, I don't know. I think we are so 
so caught up in how things look yeah. and how they appear. And if they're a little bit messy, we need to stay away from them. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, I think about as we go into the school year too, kids that just don't come from a place that's solid or don't come from a place where they feel safe and nurtured. Yeah. They're coming to school and they're getting picked on and bullied sometimes. And now bullying is even worse because it's mm-hmm. like social media on yeah. top of what we dealt with when we were kids. Oh, and yeah. So I just think that coming from a place of compassion and if it doesn't look right, that's who cares? Like, right. let's jump in there even more. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. Oh man. And it's so true. Like there's a couple of things there. One of them is that like you and I have talked in the past too, about like all these different really hot topics. Like I want to talk to my kids. I do talk to my kids about this, the serious issues, the, the drugs, like yep. sex, my 11 year old knows about periods. Cause yep. he had his, uh, you know, when they separate the boys and girls and they have their yep. talk at school he wanted to know more about what happens on the other side. And it was a very comfortable conversation. Yeah. And it wasn't like we had to sit down and make time for it in the in the living room and like, okay, we're going to have a talk. It was like really casual. I was making dinner one night. He was asking me about periods. And it was like three or four minute conversation and he moved on with yeah. his day. And then there's, you know, other times that other seemingly sensitive or taboo things will come up. Like in fifth grade, he had come come to me one night and asked me what the difference was between meth and crack. And I was like, cool. you're asking me that in fifth grade? Wow. And I didn't really know how to explain because I'm a little naive. And so I Googled it and we had a discussion and he was satisfied. And now I'm like, okay, now I know he'll come to me. Yes. Part of those discussions, though, are that are recognizing that not every kid is having those discussions. So anything he wants to ask me about, I hope he will continue yeah. to when he observes things. And to not be judgmental because, again, it's like some of these kids, he's talked to me about bullying. He's talked about the kids that he's like, and luckily somehow my kid, he like really gets it that he's like, that guy must be doing that because he's really sad about something. Mm. He's really hurting about something. So having that bit by bit, I think, interjected with the compassion for our youth because the young people are the ones that are going to be the easiest to change. It's because they're still, I think, in some cases, patterning what they're seeing from the adults in their lives. Yeah. And not feeling like it's the safe space to do, yeah. to do things and, um, you yeah. know, to talk about the hard stuff. But it, it wouldn't be that hard if we didn't make it right. so awkward. Yeah. We have to talk to our kids. We have to, mm-hmm. you know. And because if they're not hearing it from us, they're hearing it from somewhere else. Absolutely. And it may not be accurate information. So yeah. having that door open for kids, you know, um, and for your friends' kids sometimes, too. Totally. That's really important to yeah. be a safe place that people can talk. Yeah. And the other thing that you had said about um, just being aware, like noticing things and not turning away from it. I had just seen a post the other day. I follow Elizabeth Smart on Instagram. Um, And if anyone lived under a rock long enough to not know that she had been taken from her room age 14 by knife point or something and was gone for nine months. Well, she's obviously since shared all these stories. But one of her posts she shared the other day was very simple and powerful. She was like, I was ultimately rescued because someone said something when something felt a little bit off. So we all have that intuition. We have those little inklings. And I think the more that we can be aware of it and like, maybe we're not the ones that like chase after someone, but if we can call for help and let people know what the circumstance was, that's what saved her from her captivity. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, those things are happening all around us though. I mean, our communities, however small they are around the whole country, none of them are immune to it. The fact that like, again, it's like with sex trafficking, that's another one. It's a, it's a hot topic in my little brain here. 
I always thought it was stuff that happened on the borders of whatever, right? And it's happening in our communities. Yep. It's happening it in is. Boise, Idaho. Yeah. And to have people that are trying to just help you, like, listen, like, this is how we get informed. Yeah. It's, and don't be afraid. Right. Trust your gut. Trust Absolutely. Your gut. Just jump in there. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And it doesn't have to be something threatening. And I think maybe we're just always needing to learn better communication mm-hmm. skills and stuff. Because I know if I've seen something where I'm like, oh, you know, a parent that yells at their kid at the grocery store. And I'm like, if they're doing that in public at the grocery store, what's happening at home? Yeah. And so sometimes I'm like, okay, in what way do I speak up on that? Because you're not going to change that parent's no. mind. And you might make it worse for that yeah. kid. Yeah. And so there's a lot of things where it's like, we're not going to be perfect all no. the time. But we cannot be blind to the no. things. And sometimes I think it's asking the question of what do you need and how can I support you? Yeah. You know, and it's just as simple as that. Yeah. Um, Ooh, you could ask that those... even right in the heat of the moment. Yes. If a parent is losing their mind yes. in the check stand. What do you hey, need and how, how can, can I, I support, support you? you? Oh my yes. gosh. I'm going to do that from now on. <laughs> That's so good. Okay, folks, listening, you want to keep those two statements in mind. What do you need and how can I support you? I don't know why I hadn't actually thought... People have been asking me that for the last several years because I'm like, whoa, public uh, share of all my life stuff. And yet people actually have asked me that. Mm-hmm. They've been like, how do I support you? What do you need? Yeah. And it maybe has been some of those seemingly simple things of showing up with yes. food. Yes. Or, you yes. know, whatever it has ended up being. Sometimes it's not really big. No. It's something really simple that we can do. Yeah. And sometimes asking the question of what do you need makes the person stop and think, oh, I don't know what I need. Right. I need to stop and I need to think about that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally helpful on every level. Yeah. I'm glad you let me, oh, not that you had much control, like to <laughs> tangent around. I think what I've just really opened my eyes up to initially getting involved with being an adoption advocate because it's been several years now Mm -hmm. and stumbling kind of into being in there and wanting to help and wanting to support and not exactly knowing how Mm -hmm. and then recognizing what a big scope it really is yeah and and that's not scary like some some people will have a negative experience with adoption Mm -hmm. and I have a good friend who was adopted and she didn't have a very good parent relationship it's Fortunately, in their case, it's actually mended in her adult years because she yeah. really took the reins and met her birth parents and whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. And she still is an advocate for adoption through yeah. it all. She's like, you know what? This is how life should be. She's like, I know plenty of people who have terrible biological parents who beat right. the crap out of them, right. who treat them like crap and whatever. So, like, it's there's no perfect no. scenario. No, there's not. Ever. No, no. It's, it's funny because kind of going back to like the vision for the agency and what we're doing, I just feel like, I think that when I started the agency, I thought there will be a point where we, we will just arrive. We'll be there. Mm. We'll have all of our support in place, all of our training in place. And then it's just going to be going day by day, just kind of doing it. And I think what has been surprising to me is it's like, I have a five-year plan of mm-hmm. all these goals of things that I think we need to do to better support people. And, and I, I just, that wasn't something that I ever foresaw. You know, I I just never thought we would be continuing to learn and find things and ways to support people. And it's kind of never ending, but that's exciting because there's more and more that we can do. Right. And yeah. Yeah. I think that's really cool. And it really does all ultimately come back to supporting, helping. There's the human, totally just a human loving element to try to. Yes. And like all the different situations that you get will, um, they will probably throw a curveball at any given time because it's just like, holy cow, you can't plan for no. everything. No, ever. never. No matter what. No, I will have never seen it all. Mm. 
Sometimes I feel like I've seen it all, but I, there's, there's always something new. Yeah. Yeah. So as we kind of bring this to a close, this is super fun. And this is obviously yeah, a topic that I am really passionate about. I feel like um, maybe we'll revisit some stuff down the road with some other things, like once surrogacy becomes a yes. thing. Yeah. So give me, yeah. I mean, that's just a, a quick little plug there because families can be created in any way that is right, right. for that family. Right. We all have these different needs. Um, so I think it's cool how much uh, the expansion of just meeting all the different types of needs yeah, to I build think a family. I would have never again thought of surrogacy as something that the agency would, would, would do. But as we started looking at the need for support mm-hmm. for everybody that's touched by surrogacy, it's similar in some ways to adoption. Mm. And we realize that there, there's still that need for support and education um, and, and things that we're already doing that would be easy to put in place for a surrogacy program. So right. we're very close to launching that as well. Yeah, very cool. Um, is there anything else forthcoming that is like what you're the most excited about in the coming months or years that f- you guys are working on? I feel like um, this is going to be the year for building support groups. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like that's where, where the need is, is, is support groups. And sometimes for adolescents and teenagers, we can't call them support groups because nobody will come. So it's, right. it's like trying to, you know, like hide what we're really doing and do like yeah. activities and, and, and mm-hmm. things like that to get them there um, and help them connect to each other because I think there's just, there's strength in community. Yeah. and um, likeness, similarities. And so I, that this is the year for me of going to the next level and doing more mm-hmm. support for, for kids and um, for families as well. I love it. So I'm super excited. That's, that's where I think we're headed this year. Very cool. Yeah. Well, I think that's awesome. I will definitely link information to the website. Um, people can find out information in general about adoption from going to the website anyway, yes. right? Right. Uh, which is adoptanewbeginning.org. Yes. I was like, I better say, really make long, sure I say yes. it right. Adoptanewbeginning.org. Yes. Um, it's yeah. a great source for all sorts of information um, on all sides, really. Yeah. I actually just did an intensive little review through it to yeah. uh, just look at it myself and right. see what else was going on, but... Well, I think there's a lot of good information on the website, and then I also encourage families, even if you're not even thinking about adoption, but you're just kind of curious about what adoption looks like, mm-hmm. um, our, we have our information seminars the first Tuesday of every month, and, and it's, they're free, and, and anybody is welcome to come to those. Yeah. Um, you don't have to even be interested in adopting, right. but maybe you want to support somebody that is adopting. It's a great place to just come and get some information yeah. and learn more about adoption in general. Way cool. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So anyone in the Boise Meridian area, make sure that you uh, check out those opportunities. And then I'm sure there's stuff in local areas wherever people may be. But I think that's a great step in the right direction is to just become educated in ways to be supportive. Yes. Yes. And lend help. Yes. Perfect. (laughs) Well, thank you for being on. (laughs) Thank you. I hardly know her podcast. (laughs) You're so awesome, Stephanie. Thanks for listening to the I Hardly Know Her podcast. Follow all my shenanigans at meetmeganbryant.com. And remember, we don't have to be a big deal to do big things.